You guys, it's Waterproof Records. Can you believe it? I'm actually getting some shows uh, cranked out here and excited because it means we get to talk about more music and we've had some great guests recently and we have some more on the way, so I'm excited about that. So welcome back to Waterproof Records and I am your fearless host, (laughs) Jacob Givens, and uh, it's time to talk about Allison Chain's Dirt. Before we get into that, I'm going to read a little thing here. Where is it? Oh, my gosh. My blurb for um, Believe. Where is my Believe blurb? It should be right here. Oh, there it is. I almost almost lost it, you guys. Just when I was getting it mastered. Today's episode is recorded at Believe Limited in Silver Lake, California. Believe specializes in entertainment that affects change and is responsible for various forms of content, including feature films, documentaries, and podcasts, much like this one. You can check out their work at BelieveLTD.com. Believe Limited. We do special things. Well, there we go. So here we are in the studio at Believe and we're going to talk about Allison Chain's Dirt today and why Dirt. This is another example of me starting on a band's, you know, second album for the show instead of their first one. Um, back in 1992, when this album debuted, I believe it was September 29th, 1992, if I uh, remember correctly, that this came out. You know, again, in the grunge explosion era, It was important to catch this wave in the 91, 92 era, whereas Alice in Chains' first record facelift is 1990. So you're talking about something that's like right on the edge of a transition from glam and hair metal and things like that over to grunge, you know, and I think you could classify this band was on that dividing line. And I, I often get asked by people, they say, what is your favorite grunge band of all time? And I say Alice in Chains. Alice in Chains is my favorite grunge band because you know how much I love the Smashing Pumpkins, but I really don't personally consider them grunge. Um, Grunge is one of those terms that back then we got annoyed with very quickly. You know, you didn't want to say grunge. Bands didn't want to say grunge. So I think we have enough distance from it now that you you can look back and kind of fondly say, yeah, it was grunge. Grunge being, you know, it was lyrics that were introspective, depressed, kind of angsty, mixed with these sludgy, heavier guitars, detunes. That was grunge. Um, And, you know, as these guys were coming along wearing their flannels and their boots and their, you know, and what you realize now, you go, those were just, you know, working class families living up in the Pacific Northwest and that wasn't a fashion decision. That was just what was readily available, you know, and in their and their dad's closet or at the, you know, Salvation Army stuff you could pick up pretty easy in that part of the country. But um, that's what defined that era. And when you look up Alice in Chains, a lot of times they're referenced as metal 
slash hard rock or grunge. And, you know, that makes sense now why I love them so much, because I have a huge black heart for metal. I love metal. I actually was into metal before I was into alternative and rock. You know, my music journey was, you know, I, I think it was in second grade. I got the Beastie Boys licensed to ill on cassette tape. And I, I don't even think my parents realized what I was listening to at the time, which they did pay close attention after that. But then for a while there, I was listening to like the Beach Boys and, you know, the early Beatles because my mom listened to it. And, you know, I think even at the time it was like Vanilla Ice was coming out and CNC Music Factory and the stuff that was popular on the radio and, you know, Debbie Gibson and all these things. And then it was around that time that I discovered that the hair bands like Def Leppard and I think it was Def Leppard's Hysteria that I got my hands on by the time I was in fifth grade. And then hair bands opened the door to to metal. You know, I, I, I transitioned from from hair to metal and I was into Metallica and Megadeth and um, Pantera. Slayer, I was scared of at the time, you know, because I was this religious kid in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I was like, oh, no, these guys love the devil. Um, but that heaviness of metal exists in Alice in Chains. You know, they have, if you listen to Facelift, that first record, there's some stuff in there that sounds like a kind of a metal, a heavier record. And like I mentioned before, it's on that cusp. We're not here to talk about Facelift. I'm, I'm just, I'm building up guys. I'm building up momentum to what, what we're here to talk about, which is dirt. Um, but Alice in Chains obviously is a band that has just been wrought with tragedy. And, uh, you know, we've lost Lane Staley. It's been 20 years now. And then we lost Mike Starr um, back in 2011. And so there's only, you know, Sean and Jerry left from the band. They're, <laughs> they're remaining. And I was fortunate enough to just a couple weeks ago, I never got a chance to see Alice in Chains live in the 90s. I, I missed the boat. You know, I missed the window. Um, it was a short window um, because there wasn't a lot of opportunity to see um, Lane with that band before he passed away. Um, so I missed that opportunity. And a couple weeks ago, um, this really great dude that I met, Rob Gross, he texted me and he said, hey, are you going to go see Jerry Cantrell? And I didn't even realize it's kind of hard to keep up once you your life revolves around music and bands. Like I'm trying to keep my eye on who's playing when. And there's just so many. There's just so many live shows happening all the time, especially after two and a half years of lockdown. It feels like there's just this surge of live music happening all the time. And so he's like, Jerry Cantrell's playing in, in L.A. And I was like, wow, I've, you know. So I went in thinking to myself I was going to go see – Jerry Cantrell play the majority of his solo work. You know, like that's what I thought I was getting in to see. And he did play several songs that were um, his own. But what he, what I didn't expect was all of a sudden he would launch into Them Bones by Alice in Chains off this record. And my eyes would well up with tears and I would be filled with like chills all over my body because I couldn't believe I was witnessing a live version of Them Bones, the opening track. That song that kicks off this record is, I mean, what a way um, to start an album. First of all, it's like kind of off time signature. It's one of those weird ones. I believe it's 7-8 
And so it it's jarring. It comes out of nowhere. Lane's like just yelling at you the moment it begins and it stays with you. And to see there that night to see Jerry Cantrell play it and he had the supporting band. I realized that night as he went on to perform like eight or nine different Alice in Chains classics, I really realized how much Alice in Chains is Jerry Cantrell. Lane was an essential part, and I don't mean to diminish his involvement with the band at all, but Jerry Cantrell really is the the heart and soul of that band. And there, there's a reason why now that they tour with, you know, William Duvall as the kind of the replacement for Lane, why it still really sounds like Alice in Chains. Now, um, the person who was singing on the Jerry Cantrell s- show that I saw, I am drawing a blank on his name right now. He is from Dillinger Escape Plan. He was the one who was singing on the show, and he did a fantastic job, did a killer job doing those those high parts. Um, but hearing Jerry perform these songs live, it sounded like I was watching Alice in Chains. It really did. It sent chills through my body to hear songs like Wood and then Bones and Damn That River and just so many. There were so many songs, um, stuff off Facelift and and um, Grind and, you know, uh, Sap. I mean, they just did a lot of great stuff. So Jerry Cantrell is, is the driving heart and soul of Alice in Chains. But the marriage of the vocals of Lane Staley and Jerry are unforgettable. <laughs> I joke with friends. I say, you know, Alice in Chains are like the minor key ABBA. <laughs> and I don't mean that they sound anything like pop sensation ABBA, but it's just those unforgettable harmonies, you know? I talked a little bit about how Alice in Chains is heavier, grungier, metal-like. But then you add these two voices in there. You know, Jerry Jerry Cantrell and Lane Staley, the way they complement each other in vocal ranges and harmonies, they're so iconic. You could hear them begin to sing and you go, oh, that's an Alice in Chains song right there. Those, those layers, those harmonies. Um, I think that was really the most specific thing about them that stuck out to me. And probably... Um, why they made such an impact. I love Soundgarden as a grunge band. I love Pearl Jam as a grunge band. I love Screaming Trees. I love, there's so many quote unquote grunge bands that I loved at the time, but I come from a, a theater background. I come from a classical, you know, my mom raised me in a house with like a lot, lot more old timey music and the Beatles and whatnot. So I had a huge appreciation for great harmony so if you take great harmony and you throw it in kind of this darker these darker riffs I was like oh I'm sold I remember actually listening to Dirt in my room and my mom coming by on one of the songs where they were singing I think it was Sick Man where they're doing that kind of like um, you know there's this part in the middle of Sick Man where there it slows down and it's like, I won't rest until my head is clear. And they're doing those harmonies. And I remember my mom going, ooh, I really like that. <laughs> so she was being fooled. You know, she heard this great vocal prowess of these two um, beautiful singers together. But like I said, a band wrought with tragedy and heroin abuse, two members have uh, died due and succumbed to their their substance abuse problems. Now, Mike Starr wasn't with the band 
past 1993. He was the original bassist, and um, right after the success of Dirt was you know, pretty much out of the band. And at the time, I think in interviews, the band had said, oh, it was, you know, we had different priorities. We wanted to tour and keep grinding, and and he wanted to do other things with his life. He was tired of being on the road. But I think Mike Starr years later came out and said, no, I was fired because I had my drug problem. And uh, boy, did he ever. You know, he died in 2011, and I believe he was on Celebrity Rehab and uh, I don't watch stuff like that. I read that he was on Celebrity Rehab, but I don't, that's stuff that I don't really want to pay much attention to. That's just that kind of television. And I'm not judging you if you want to watch Celebrity Rehab, um, but I, I, I don't like that car crash reality TV, you know, where you are watching people's lives kind of fall apart and it's all for um, our enjoyment, you know, to see their, their kind of crisis and trauma. Um, just doesn't doesn't do anything for me but apparently he was on there and said things he went to go see lane on april 4th and they got into an argument and he stormed out and then lane was supposedly found dead the next day i think that's the diagnosis that the coroner said was it was april 5th um so i think he was on this show and said that he regretted you know walking out on april 4th in this heated argument that they had and he was you know still on drugs at the time and Lane and phoned him afterwards and said, no, please, you know, not like that. We don't want to end it like that. And he really wished he had gone back, which is just tragic to think about. Um, but Mike Starr was out of the band in 1993 and they got Mike Inez. Uh, Mike Inez, they uh, met him on the tour with Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, no More Tours was the tour. And uh, Mike Inez was playing with Ozzy at the time, and I think he was, you know, getting closer with the band, and they realized they wanted him in there. And that there's a story that um, that <laughs> that I don't know if this is true, but I remember reading this somewhere that Mike Inez basically said, "Hey, these Allison Chains guys want me to go on tour with them and play with them or whatever." And Ozzy said, "Well, if you don't, we're going to have to go to the hospital." And he was like, "Why?" And he's like, "Because you're going to have to um, remove my foot from your ass." you know, for not going. So <laughs> Ozzy was like, go, go play, you know, go play with these guys. So Mike Inez is in the band and uh, he's, he, you know, pretty much was with them until the end. But um, it's been the original, it was the original four through this record, Dirt. And the formation of Alice in Chains, that name even, I believe came from a, a band that Lane had in the 1980s that was like a kind of a glam rock band. And back then it was spelled Alice and then there was the big letter N, Alice in Chains. And if the story is correct, it goes back to they saw there was a show playing and the the lanyard at the show or there was, a, there was some flyers for the show that it said, um, Welcome to Wonderland. And they started talking about Alice in Wonderland. And then they talked about flipping the idea of Alice in Wonderland to instead of being in a wonderful place like Alice in Bondage, you know, Alice in Chains. And instead of uh, not wanting to freak people out with the actual word in chains, they put the letter in. And people have claimed they'd be like, oh, they did it because Guns N' Roses did it. But actually, it was, you know, before um, Guns N' Roses hit the mainstream in 87, they, they made that decision. But... That was a name of a band um, that Lane was in, completely separate of these guys. 
And Jerry was in a band called Diamond Lie or something like that. I'm, I might be misremembering this one. But um, sometimes I don't have all the facts in my head, you guys. Um, but they anyway, they came together. And while they started playing the, the four, um, Lane just was like, well, we could call us Alice in Chains. And he called the guys that he played with before and asked their permission. And one of them was reluctant, but they eventually gave their blessing. And then here we are. We have Alice in Chains. Um, most of us back in the 90s, our first exposure to this band was Man, Man in the Box. That video. I remember watching, it might have even been Headbangers Ball and not 120 Minutes because it was kind of considered more metal um, during that time. But Man in the Box was the first introduction I had to Allison Chains. You know, here's this sepia-toned video with this guy who's got his hair kind of in tight braids and he's whipping his head back and forth and he's got the sunglasses on and he's sitting, you know, and there's these spotlights on him. It's all so dingy and drab. And of course, like I said before, I'm growing up in this religious household and this guy is shouting... Jesus Christ. And I was like, oh no, I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. So much so that my TikTok that I made about Man in the Box features my mother, who was visiting me at the time, walking in and listening to me, you know, catching me listening to that song, which is pretty much how it went down. You know, Man in the Box is playing and he's saying, Jay's, you know, she's thinking this is blasphemous. Um, but what you know now, after all these years later, is those lyrics are literally written um, as a prayer, you know, as a like pleading to God to help with the addiction. And then the voice that, you know, deny your maker is like the voice of of the devil or the drug or the addiction calling you back. So it's actually a very that song is kind of tragic and moving. And, and, and there was no blasphemy. It was somebody begging for help for their drug addiction. But I made that TikTok of my mom coming in and hearing me. So I had these mixed feelings as a teen about how I felt about Alice in Chains. I knew I loved the song. I, I knew I loved that wah-wah talk, talk box uh, sound that Jerry was doing on his guitar. I'd never heard anything like that. Well, I had heard something like that on Motley Crue's Kickstart My Heart um, on Dr. Feelgood, but I liked the way Alice in Chains was doing it better, the talk box, which is basically that device where you put your mouth on it and you can kind of like sing. It goes through your guitar. It's like, wow, wow. You know, anyway, I'm doing a terrible job of emulating the talk box. Um, but so, uh, you know, Alice in Chains, Man in the Box, that's the first exposure. And I don't think I got my hands on facelift out of the gate. I don't, I don't remember being able to get my hands on that cassette. I remember the first cassette I got of Alice in Chains was Dirt. And to this day, it's my favorite album they ever put out. I love a lot of their stuff. But this thing, start to finish, is killer. It's so good. It is so good. Like I said, opening up with Them Bones, 7-8 time, moving into Damn That River, those songs are almost like a one-two punch. You almost can't hear them bones without immediately going into, you know, damn that river. But this album was recorded in the early parts of 1992, produced by Dave Jordan. And Dave Jordan had also produced Facelift. 
And he had also worked on Jane's Addiction Ritual. And I believe he had done some mixing on Nothing Shocking. Maybe he had been a little younger on that. But he was the producer on this record. And they recorded some in Burbank. They recorded some in L.A. They recorded some in Seattle. But one of the wildest things that I just recently learned is right when the recording session started for Dirt, the Rodney King verdict was read in L.A., and the riots began. They they arrive in L.A. to start recording Dirt, and the riots begin. Uh, Jerry Cantrell went to a local liquor store to buy some beer, and a guy just like you know, broke in his store and started looting and taking things. And then when he was driving in the car, he could see people like getting pulled out of windows and getting beaten. And so there was this enormous amount of tension of like, oh my God, what have we just gotten ourselves into? And that really, there's an infusion of that tension, of that uneasiness in this record. You know, this record is full of depression and sadness and drug abuse and and just so many feelings. And then to be thrust in the middle of the L.A. riots um, to try to start recording a record. So apparently after a couple days, they were like, let's get the fuck out of here. Let's let's take a break until things calm down. And I think that they went to Joshua Tree to just kind of mellow out, you know, trip out under the stars. And you'll never believe who they took with them. Tom Araya from Slayer. So he went with them out to the desert so they could chill for a couple days. And here's the funny thing. I, I didn't know that Tom Araya was just uh, hanging out with uh, Allison Chains, but it makes sense because when I was a kid and I got this tape, there's a, there's a track on the cassette. And, you know, this is before Spotify. This is even before CDs at the time because it's 1992, at least before I got a CD player. I mean, I think CDs were available, but I don't think I got, got my first CD player until I was, it was like 1993 or 94. Um, but there were no track listings, you know, so there was this section on dirt where you get to the end of God smack. And before you go to hate to feel, there's this song there untitled it's referred to now. Um, it's called iron gland, which just researching this album, I was like, that's what he says. If you know this album, there's this part where it's just this really obnoxious kind of growling riff playing. And this person goes, I am iron glad. And he, he screams, right? And that is Tom Araya from Slayer right there doing that scream. And a read that it was called, that it was, it was iron gland. When I was a kid, I remember sitting there and rewinding that over and over again with my friends and going, what is he saying? I'm Iron Man? Is that what he's saying? But it's Iron Gland. That's what he's saying. Iron Gland. And so a 30-year mystery now laid to rest. All this time, I, I heard that screaming part. Never knew it was Tom Mariah until recently. And then he's saying, I am Iron Gland. Wow. I was out of the loop, you guys. But now it's listed as untitled. And apparently, Jerry Cantrell wrote that riff that the band was like, that's obnoxious. And he was like, all right, let me put it on the record and then I'll never play it again. So that's that's the story behind that. But probably one of the most identifiable songs off of Dirt is Rooster. Rooster, you know, you can't think about Alice in Chains without, you know, referencing Rooster. So much so that in the film, uh, This is 40 with Paul Rudd, um, there's that, 
I classic scene. It cracks me up because it's so me with my kids. They're sitting there listening to pop music and they're dancing, you know, talking about Katy Perry or whatever. And then in comes Paul Rudd, the dad, who I feel a very special soul connection to. He walks in and he's like, he swaps out the music and puts on Alice in Chains Rooster. <laughs> and the kids and his wife are like, what's this? And he's like, this is real music. This has feeling. <laughs> and you're like, here's a song about a soldier surviving and fighting through Vietnam and going through everything. And you're right. It's a powerful song. But to the kids, uh, they're just like, oh, my God, please put on the music that we can dance to again. And Paul Rudd's just swaying back and forth. Ain't found a way to kill me yet. (laughs) I'm like, I remember loving that song so much and uh, being, being a teenager and sitting in a garage with my friends in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We were in my friend's garage. And there's there's these girls sitting around. We're all, you know, we've got our guitars out and we we play Rooster. And I'm thinking in my head at the time, I'm like, oh, so badass. I'm so badass right now playing Rooster for these girls. <laughs> they were probably like, this is depressing. I don't know. It's the 90s. They probably were also happy to be um, bummed out. We we're all kind of just loving that angsty energy back then. But Rooster is a song uh, written by Jerry Cantrell. Um, about his dad, whose nickname was Rooster, and he was a Vietnam vet. And he said that he wrote the song because, you know, grew up in a home that having a uh, Vietnam vet as a father uh, probably leads to a lot of difficult times and uh, distance and and not getting along and feeling like they're they're not there, they're not present. And uh, he said he wrote the song as kind of a way to see his side of the story, you know, a way to see what hell his dad had been through and what would, you know, put his headspace there. And I think that's an important thing um, as children to remember when our, our parents do these really fucked up things. You just try to put yourself in their shoes. You know, I am the father of two boys and my dad had two boys And so I'm like this next chapter, you know, where I'm reliving a lot of what I see my children do and how I handle it. And then I think about what my dad did with me and my, my, um, my brother. And, you know, we have a good relationship with our dad. Um, but, but fathers and sons have a really interesting (laughs) relationship. You know, there is a, there's a thing through time. I think that, uh, fathers and sons, um, we have a closeness sometimes, but also it's just an interesting thing to um, to have it set on your head that like you're going to grow up and start a family and leave one day, you know, whereas I and I, I'm, I'm, I'm look, these traditions are being shattered all the time. I'm not saying that that's the way it has to be. I'm sure, a, you know, a daughter grows up with the same kind of pressures, but there is definitely this interesting thing about fathers and sons. And I think. Rooster makes me think of that about looking at your your dad's pain or trauma or what they've been through and trying to put yourself in their shoes instead of blaming them, you know. Anyway, wow, shit, you guys, getting heavy. <laughs> but uh, so many other songs in this album, uh, Junkhead, you know, these songs about heroin. Here I am, you know, 13 years old, I think at the time, and I'm just listening, just jamming out my, my room to it with incense, turning out the lights and lighting a candle and just thinking about, you know, 
this singer struggles with heroin. Boy, I had no clue. I didn't. I didn't know. But I was. I was like, yeah, must be hell. <laughs> so living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, thinking about getting off a of heroin. Um, there are two tracks on this album that were written by Lane Staley, and that is "Hate to Feel" and "Angry Chair." And he also plays guitar on those tracks. So Jerry Cantrell, why he did the—I mean, while he did most of the the songwriting and the guitar parts and everything, those two songs have uh, Lane's touch on them. He wrote them and played guitar on them. So you probably can hear a little difference in those if you look back on it. That that infusion of style. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about was the cover. Um, I think it's pretty interesting because if you have Dirt or if you've ever seen the cover of Dirt, it's it's very recognizable. It's very. Um, it's a haunting cover. It's got that uh, burnt red and orange desert with that, you know, nude woman laying on the the desert floor. And, you know, as you as you find out the photographer's intention, Rocky Shanker, I believe is his name, um, is very well known uh, photographer for bands and, and celebrities and art. Uh, great stuff. And he photographed this woman to be like I don't know if she's alive or dead you know what I mean like she's naked she's laying on the on the her eyes are open she's laying on the desert floor she's got some dirt on her body and you do have this kind of unsettled feeling of you know that is am I looking at a dead person or is this just like a, a person laying out in the in the you know the desert um it stays with you it's an image that stays with you and a lot of people over time, I think Lane was in a serious relationship with someone and they said, oh, that's his girlfriend. But no, actually, the person who is the model for that photograph, her name is Mariah O'Brien. And she's actually, if you know your bands and you know your music, she actually was also the model for Spinal Tap's uh, Bitch School, which is a, a <laughs> it's a very funny, you know, it's like a, a girl on all fours with a with a dog collar on and. She's the model for that, so it's kind of crazy to think here she is in this Spinal Tap cover. I mean, hey, um, it's a modeling job, right? And then she's the the same model on the cover of um, of Dirt. But that I learned uh, that that picture that wasn't a real desert. That wasn't a real desert sky. That was in a studio. That was a desert built into a studio. And poor Mariah, he had the the photographer. He had built this fake ground you know with like the clay and the dirt in a studio and a backdrop and he had dug a hole into this area for the model to lay and she had to lay kind of you know they put the the dirt and the stuff around her and so she kind of had to be like placed in this spot and then couldn't move because they built the the sand and the dirt around her body so when she was in there she had to stay in there for like eight hours and it was apparently a very hard grueling day to be uh, laying in that position but it makes for a terrific album cover um but that's the story of mariah o'brien the model of the cover of dirt um i remember there was a couple other things that i want to talk about oh well we should definitely say um the song wood on here that i have mentioned on my episode about singles the single soundtrack that day, de- that song debuted on that soundtrack before it was on this record. And that is Jerry Cantrell writing about Andrew Wood, the death of the lead singer from mother love bone. That's what that one's about. And that is probably, 
one of my favorite songs on the album because um, I think it shows the best aspects of Alice in Chains, the heavy, the haunting, um, and the unusual minor key changes in melody. Um, would just, um, whenever I hear that opening bass line, I'm like, oh, shit, here we go, you know? And that night I saw Jerry Cantrell, I heard it. Um, but everything on this record is 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 fantastic. You know, Dirt, I look at all these songs and I go, this is a, this is a start to finish banger, as the kids say. Um, I feel like there's a couple other th- anecdotes or stories I wanted to say about Alice in Chains before we wrapped up the show. Um, but I think that might be it. That might be it. I'm, yeah. This is one of those moments where, you know, you come in and you think, oh, there's so many things I want to say or talk about about Dirt. Oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about this because this is the whole reason why I did the show today. I, a couple days ago on TikTok, I, I've i made, like I mentioned before, I made a video about Man in the Box and with my mom coming in and me singing. And then I did a, a video, 90s Essentials, and I talked about the Alice in Chains Unplugged, MTV's Unplugged, which is incredible. Everything they have is incredible, but that... Unplugged. I actually enjoy it more than the um, Nirvana one, which is way more famous. But the um, Alice in Chains Unplugged is just incredible. It's it's kind of heartbreaking to watch if you ever watch the footage because Lane is clearly not healthy. He's not doing well. He's singing wonderfully, but he looks very frail, very sickly. And he comes out and he opens up with Nutshell and it just takes your breath away. It's just beautiful. It's haunting. And there's just so much pain in his voice, you know. I'll never forget that. And actually, um, when I still hear Nutshell, it does bring a tear to my eye. Um, it's just such a powerful song. Um, so I I'd done that. And then a couple days ago on TikTok, TikTok is ridiculous, you guys. It's ridiculous. It's a it's a platform where we make these videos and we're just trying to connect and laugh and have a good time or or share things that we like and and build a community. But somebody had sent me a video of it's a little microphone stand sitting on a kitchen table and you can hear the guitar of Nutshell playing and then all of a sudden Beaker, a little Lego Beaker from the Muppets comes in and the guy's like, I can't do as high as he did. And he's like singing as um, as the, the vocal part for Nutshell. He's singing Lane Staley's part, but as Beaker, you know, Meeps instead of the voice. I got tagged in it, sent it probably a dozen times. And that's, I kind of have a rule on TikTok, which is if somebody sends me or tags me a video a lot of times, I'm like, all right, well, I got to address this. And I laughed. I thought it was so funny. And I, I had to share it. So I did a little duet. And there were some people that were like, no, no, this song, this song should be off limits or this is just too painful. And I can get that and I can respect that, that you you have a huge connection to it. And, you know, maybe you have somebody that you've lost in your life to drug addiction or, or overdose. And so maybe that would be something that would be too hard for you. But all I got to say is I think that for me personally, without laughter, I could never get through pain. I need it. I need it. I find in my darkest hour that jokes are my way through. I find that the more twisted a a laughing moment can be with a loved one or a family member over something that you can't even wrap your head around, it's cathartic. If you've never tried that, 
I, I highly recommend it. Humor and laughter and making light of a terrible situation is crucial to existence, in my opinion. Um, and that's how, what I felt about this. I felt, here's this Muppet Lego figure, Beaker, you know, singing Nutshell, and it's funny. And I think if Lane was still alive, he would probably think it was funny. I think if Mike Starr was still alive, he would think it was funny. I really do. I really think that we can laugh. You can take things to heart and you can have very heavy, powerful experience with music. And God knows I do. You know that about me. You know that there are songs that literally floor me, take my breath away, I cry about. I mean, hell, I have emoted... I've done nothing but emote online for a year now. So you know that this guy has got the feels. So there are songs that are very precious to me, but I would just, I would encourage you that if you see something funny, it's okay to laugh through tragedy. You know, comedy is tragedy plus time is what the expression is, right? And sometimes I need that time to hurry the fuck up and I need to laugh right now. When something gets real dark, real fast, it's like, somebody please say something totally, quote unquote, inappropriate and make me laugh. Um, Anyway, that's probably the comedian in me, you know, the guy who loves to tell jokes and loves to make people laugh that I need it. That was the thing I wanted to say. That's Allison Chain's Dirt for you. Um, You know, highly recommend this album. Highly recommend all their albums. You know, Sap and Jar Flies are a little bit of a different take. Um, you know, Grind is a great record, but I, but really their their first two facelift, their first two major LPs, facelift and and um and Dirt really, you know, stand the test of time. I would say Dirt is probably one of my top ten albums, honestly. Um so that's pretty much it. I think I covered everything. <laughs> yeah. LA riots, Tom Araya, Araya. I don't know if I'm messing up the pronunciation of that name, but that's it. You guys. Okay. I won't hem and haw anymore. I will wrap this up. That has been Allison chains dirt on waterproof records. Uh, I have friends that keep telling me that I have to do this. Please subscribe. Please spread the word. Tell your friends. Say, hey, have you heard Waterproof Records? Subscribe. If you're just listening to me and you're streaming it, but you haven't hit subscribe, I'm never going to be able to build this show. So I need you to let people know. Um, I need you to tell your friends. I need you to, to say, hey, I know you love music. I really need this thing to to grow. And I, I do a terrible job of marketing myself. I really do. I don't like to do it. I like to just talk about bands and talk to you guys. But I've had many friends say to me, like, hey, by the way, on your podcast, you should remind people to subscribe, check out what you're doing, comment, uh, you know, uh, go check it out. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Spotify. I'm on iTunes. I'm on Google. I'm on pretty much every platform you can stream. So um, please let everybody know about Waterproof Records. And uh, if you don't follow me on social media, I'm at the Jacob Givens on TikTok. I'm at Jacob Givens on Instagram. I'm at Jacob Givens on um, Twitter. So please follow me. Please support Waterproof Records. And I thank you guys so much for your time. And I'll see you next time. Things are going to change. I feel it. It's just going to be that kind of body. Waterproof.